Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? And can I tell you what, no matter which campus you were at, can y'all give a hand again to our worship team leading us so, so well? I mean, like, it's when I thought that, I mean, I was, I'm like, I always made me want to cuss in church. It was so good. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of you know, there's only some expressions you can throw a cuss word in. You know what I'm saying? Like, welcome to CC, by the way. My name is Justin. Uh, we do things a little different here. I'm the next gen pastor, so I'm so glad that you're with us. I promise I will not cuss so your kids are safe in here. Um, that's like a joke, in case you didn't know. Like, your kids are always safe, no matter where you're at. Uh, we're going to continue going through Paper Tigers, uh, the series we've been going through. Before we do, I have a quick thing just to let you know about. Uh, we actually, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been having group link, is what we call it, outside, underneath some de- uh, tables, uh, some tents out there, where you can sign up to get part of a community group, where you can get connected to sit down with people just like you and me, hanging out uh, in someone's house, learning about things of the, the scriptures, or just building relationships, a support there, uh, and a whole bunch of you got connected, uh, but also uh, some of you, you weren't able to, maybe you didn't come the last couple weeks, uh, maybe uh, you uh, were here and you're waiting in line and you were like, I got lunch plans, I need to go, I can't wait in line, and you weren't able to get connected, and what we have today is a chance for you to get connected. Uh, you can go to that same uh, tent and table and you can sign up, and here's what we're looking for. We're not trying to get you into a group today. What we're doing is we're collecting information from you so we know what type of groups we need to launch. Okay, because we're always launching new groups at Centerpoint. So if you're like, um, you know, like my family, we got young kids and we're young married people. We would love to sit down with some other young married people. Like you sign up. That's what you're looking for. We're going to find and try to collect some people. Collecting people sounds weird. Uh, but we're going to try to gather some people together and uh, just have a chance for you to connect. And again, no matter what it is, just sign up and let us know what type of group you would want to be a part of. So that way we can help you with that. Uh, but also... Uh, if you get into a group and you attend a few times and you're like, yo, these people are weird, okay, because, like, you all know that happens no matter where you're at. And if you didn't laugh about people being weird, it's because you are the weird people. <laughs> you didn't know people are weird. And here's the deal, though. If you're in a group, it's not like a lifelong commitment. Like, community is so important. But if you're trying to meet with a group of people and you're like, this isn't working out, maybe it's as simple a thing of, like, my schedule, I thought Wednesdays work good for us. That was happening in one of our groups. We thought Wednesdays were going to work good for us. And then eventually you get into it and you're like, Wednesdays really don't work good for our family. We need to hop to a different night of the week. As simple as that. You can step out and you can join a different group. Um, and even if it is the people, you just tell them that it's just the night of the week. Okay, because that way you can be friends afterwards. Okay? I'm not condoning lying, okay? Don't, y'all are like, I'm about ready to leave church. I came on a holiday weekend, and they got this brother up here preaching, and he's got all sorts of things. I don't know. Hey, we're going to have a good time. Are you excited to have a good time in church? Because this is the deal. South Campus, North Campus, we're all together in this. Here's the deal. I believe life is supposed to be fun. 
I think everything we do, we can worship Jesus with, and everything we do, we can have a lot of fun with. I don't think that we have to put aside fun for worship or worship for fun. I believe you can have a great time no matter where you're at. So no matter where you're coming from today, you could not have been in church for years, or this is your first time with us. Welcome. We're glad you're here. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're trying to figure things out. Everyone's welcome. We're going to have a good time. And here's the deal. I'm going to have a great time whether you come along with me or not. But we're going to have a good time. Can I get a good old amen hand clap for that North Campus? You guys, too. We're going to have a good time in church today. We've been talking about paper tigers. And if you haven't heard the definition of paper tiger, what it is, this is kind of the definition we've been running off of. Paper tiger is something that appears strong or fierce, but in reality being all show and no substance. Now, I kid you not, last night I had a dream that there was a tiger loose in the, like the community we live in, in our neighborhood. And I woke up like, what would I do with my kids outside with a tiger? But it's just a dream. Like it didn't really happen and there's no substance. And honestly, there are things in life that are like that, right? Like we talked about insecurity before we talked, and we're going to talk about uh, different things. And we've been talking about these things because they seem like they have a lot of power. And, and even for some of us, the power is real but it's not the ultimate power. Okay, even today, the the paper tiger we're talking about is a paper tiger of opposition. Now, for all of us, we face opposition. And saying it's a paper tiger is not saying that opposition isn't real. It's saying that it doesn't have the real power. And opposition, a lot of times, can have as much power as you give it. Now, we also got to recognize, even in church world, uh, we receive opposition all over the place. And we all have that one family member Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your uncle, that like everything is opposition. And with Christianity, this is part of the reason like sometimes people don't like it so much is we can blame everything on the devil. Can't we? North Campus, you guys blame stuff on the devil all the time, right? It's like, man, I was running late for work and like I got stuck in traffic and the devil's just trying to get my job. Like, no, that's not the devil. You didn't leave early enough. We're like, man, I've been trying to lose weight. I've been working out. I went running once. Like the devil is just restricting me from, I'm just receiving this supernatural opposition coming. Like, no, like the devil is not attacking you. Your pantry is, right? Like, this isn't like, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? It's just reality. A lot of times Christians, like we put everything on the devil, don't we? And like, here's the deal. Thank you. Here's the deal. Like, this is part of the reason people don't like Christians, if we can be honest about this. Like, we put everything on the devil, things that aren't the devil's fault. We do the same thing with Jesus, right? My mom is like this. I love my mom so much. Mom, if you see this, I love you. But my mom would give Jesus things that, like, I don't know if Jesus did anything with, like a parking spot. Like, and it's just like, a, Jesus knew I was late, and I'm trying to get in and out of the store real quick. And, like, who, what do you know? There's a parking spot right in front, and just he knew I needed that. So I parked there, and then I ran it, and guess what? Jesus was so good to me again. There was no one in front of me in self-checkout. So, like, praise his name. And, like, mom, like, I get it. But, like, I don't know, just to be honest, I don't know if Jesus cares so much about your parking spot. He does care about you. and He does love you no matter what. But this is where, again, for Christians, this is the reality. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself. Because if you can't laugh at yourself, you're the only person not laughing at you. And we have funny things that we do. And, again, even opposition, we say, man, like, the spiritual forces are against me. And, like, I don't know that that's a spiritual thing. But here's the reality. Opposition is real, isn't it? And even what happens, and we're going to look at today, what happens is when we try to step out of a, a pattern of disobedience in our life into a pattern of obedience, there's real opposition. And when we're trying to do the right thing, we get some opposition. Anyone in the house ever feel opposition when they're trying to do the right thing? I'm trying to do the right thing, but I feel like I can't get there. I feel like I'm being held back. I've got friction. And, 
the reality is opposition is real, but it doesn't have the real power. Because this is a promise Jesus made to us, a promise he made to his followers, and we are his followers, so we can step under this promise as well, is that he will overcome the world, or he has overcome the world. This is what he said to a group of, of guys who were outnumbered and opposed. He said, take heart. Like, be of courage. Be, uh, be strong in what you're doing. Be confident in what you're doing. Take heart. Like, be strong. Why? And some of y'all know this verse. Because I have overcome the what? The world. Now, we as Jesus followers, we hold to that and we say, man, this is so good. Like, he's overcome the world and he's more powerful than everything else. And, like, I'm going to take heart in this. And we, honestly, we accept half of the promise. Because if you take a step back, you can actually see the whole promise. Because what happens sometimes is we step into the promise of, take heart, I have overcome the world. And we think that that means a pain-free life. But here's the truth. If you bought into a pain-free Jesus, you didn't buy into the real Jesus. Because how many of y'all, make some noise if you're following Jesus and you got pain in your life right now. Like you got stuff going on. You're like, man, I'm trying to do the right things. And I feel like I can't get there and something is coming against me. And this is the whole promise. And the promise, actually, when you look at the whole promise of something, it actually makes it stronger and sweeter. This is the whole promise that Jesus tells his followers. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have, what's that word? Trouble. What's that word? I didn't hear you. Trouble. You're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. But take heart. A but can be a beautiful thing, can't it? Come on, y'all. We're going to have fun in church today. I'm going to tell you what. We're going to have a good time. It's a holiday weekend. Holiday right here. Take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Jesus acknowledges there's trouble. There is difficulty. But I've overcome the world. And when we ignore trouble, when we ignore difficulty, it doesn't matter who we have faith in. Because that's not real life. And this is where if you look through the passages of Scripture, you read through the account of God's people, God is constantly giving people promises. But he generally is giving them two-part promises. And with his people, Israel, the Hebrew people, he went and he gave them this promise with Abraham. He said, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to demonstrate my goodness on you over the entire world. But if you don't follow me, if you don't obey what I've told you to do, the blessings won't be there. And I will send you through punishment to get you back to blessing. Because this is how it always works. You go, when you're living under the obedience and the umbrella of obedience, parents, listen to this. This is huge for parenting. When you live under the, the umbrella of obedience, I have all the blessings for you right there. But when you step out of the umbrella of obedience, you step out to the area of punishment to bring you back into obedience. I still love you when you're outside the umbrella. I still love you no matter what, regardless of what you do, who you are, I will always love you because I'm your dad and that's how God has loved me. That's how I have to love you. But if you want my blessings, you step under the umbrella of what I've called you to do because that's the way life works best. Not because I'm mean or angry, it's because I know that's the way life is going to work best because if my kids did whatever they want, they literally would run out into the street. Like I have a one-year-old daughter and literally... I was watching her one day. We live in a real slow area. There's no cars. And she just kept walking towards the street. And I'm just like watching her. And she walked right into the street. And my wife was like, what are you doing? I said, I want to see how far she'd go. 
Like, I'm right here. Don't call child services on me. I'm right here. I can see where she's at. There's no cars coming. It's a slow street. No one's coming. I just want to see. And, like, legitimately, she would walk all the way into the street. And do you know what she did when I went and got her out of the street? She did not turn around and give me a kiss and say, thank you, Daddy. She kicks her arms and legs and screams. Some of you got kids. You know this is what happens. I'm pulling you out of the thing that's going to hurt you into something that's meant to be good for you, and you don't like it. And this is God's promise repeatedly to his people. If you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. If you don't follow me, the only thing that you can choose is something that's bad. And that's going to end in pain and destruction. I will send you through punishment to bring you back into blessing. That's always a plan. And you read through this and you see this happen time and time again. And actually, uh, there's a story of this guy named Nehemiah. Who Nehemiah was a Hebrew, he was a Jew, living in captivity because God's people, they were living life, it was awesome, they're living in the promised land, the land that they didn't deserve, they just got for free, it was great, everything's happening, God did everything for them, and then pretty soon they're looking around and go, man, these other things look really good. The way God said to live is not really, doesn't seem as fun as I thought it would be, it doesn't seem as good as I thought it would be because my definition of good and fun is not God's definition of good and fun. I'm going to start doing things, and then pretty soon God sends the Babylonian Empire in to capture Israel. And you can read about this in historical context. You can look this up on Wikipedia. You can find this outside of the Bible. This isn't just because of what the Bible says. This is You can look at historical context for this. Okay, so Babylon comes in, takes Israel captive, pulls them out, and then they're, they're slaves, and they're in exile. They're away from where God had promised for them to be because of their choices, and they're slaves under the Babylonian Empire. And then the Persians come in. The Persians take over Babylon and they just inherit all the slaves, all the people they had. So they get these Jewish Hebrew slaves and they're watching them. And Nehemiah was one of these guys. He's living literally miles and miles and miles away from where God, away from where God promised for him to be. And he's the cupbearer for the emperor. Basically, he's like a glorified bartender. He makes the drinks, tests the drinks, give them to the king. Makes the drinks, tests the drinks, give them to the king. So he has a close relationship. He's living large in this exile. He's living in the palace. Things are pretty good for him. He knows the king. And then he hears about Jerusalem, the city in Israel, and how it's been torn down and how it's in ruins, and it messes with him. And the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem enters into the, and breaks him. And he begins to cry and weep and mourn for days. And then he has to go to work. So he goes to work and he's trying to keep himself together. And he goes in, and this is all chapter one of Nehemiah. You can read this for yourself. He goes in and the king sees his face and says, why are you so upset? Like, like Nehemiah, like what's going on? Like we know each other. You can't hide this from me. Like what's going on? And Nehemiah prays really quickly. And then answers and tells him about Jerusalem and all this stuff. And says, hey, like all this stuff is happening and it's really tearing me up. And you know what? This is crazy, but would you give me the authority and your blessing to go and repair the walls? And not only would you give me permission to do this, would you pay for it all? I guess if you're going to ask, ask big, right? And the king says, absolutely. And says Nehemiah with a group of people, even guards, to make sure they're okay. They get to Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem and he goes to inspect the walls. And this is how he did this in chapter 2. You guys all with me today at the South Campus and here in the room? 
This is good. North Campus, you guys here with us, brothers and sisters. It is going to be good. Listen to the story of Nehemiah. God has something for you from this story. This is what happened. Chapter 2, verse 11. It says, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well to the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Now, he goes out in night. You know why he went out at nighttime? Because he had no idea what he was doing. And what he was about to do was crazy. He's a cupbearer. He's not an architect. He's not a general contractor. He's not an engineer. He has no idea what he's doing. He's going around in the privacy of night to see and count the cost. And for some of us, this is a thing you got to think about. Is the thing that God's calling you to do, you need to spend some private time alone with God and count the cost of what it is before you go make it public. Sometimes we're excited about making big public declarations when God hasn't really confirmed it in the private moments. So he goes and then he, he goes and he brings it up to the officials. He said, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Now, just a side note real quick. Like, he didn't tell them why they were in Jerusalem. Do you think, like, what is wrong with these people that they just went along with this not knowing what they were doing? Like, how did he get them to Jerusalem? Did he tell them they were going, like, hey, guys, we're going to go on vacation, and they're showing up at Jerusalem. Like, this doesn't look like the Airbnb pictures at all. Like, there's no pool. I don't want to stay in that room. These walls are all dusty and broken. Like, I don't, like, Nehemiah, I don't know what we're doing here. But they just rolled with it. They're just hanging out. He didn't tell them anything. And then he goes and he says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. As I told them about this, and then I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So we began the good work. And isn't this exciting? Like, isn't this a good part of the story? Like, in my mind, I think of, like, this is, like, a 1998, like, video about them, like, rebuilding stuff, and they're playing, like, Working for the Weekend by Love Boy. Y'all know that song? Everyone's watching to see what you will do. And they're, like, strapping their belts on and, like, putting their, do y'all know that? Just me. Okay, I get it. North Campus, you got that joke. That's okay. And, like, Nehemiah, here's the deal. He's a, he's a bartender. Again, what he's doing is he's, like, all his tools still have tags on them. And, like, his work, everything matches because he bought it all at the same time. Right? Like, you don't want to trust clean construction workers. You don't want to trust skinny chefs, right? <laughs> he's got all his stuff. He doesn't know what half of it does, but he thought, I need to have this stuff. And he's walking around, and they're building stuff, and he's, like, high-fiving everybody. Like, things are going great, and this is the deal. When you start something, isn't it great and exciting? Like, man, it, you're having the time of your life. You're back in church, and you're like, man, I went to church three weeks in a row, which is awesome. Do not forsake the small things. Awesome job. You keep coming back. But then what's going to happen is you're going to hit into some opposition, you're repairing some relationship in your life, and things begin really rocky, and they start to get really good, but you just got to wait for that next wave because it's going to get rocky again, right? You're beginning your own business, and you start building something. You go, man, like, it's so exciting. I got this idea. I'm writing this book, whatever it might be, and things are so good at the beginning. And here's the reality. Starting something most of the time is pretty easy. That's why so many of us have New Year's resolutions. But finishing is really hard. 
That's why only about 8% of people actually finish their New Year's resolution. Everything is great right here. We're starting stuff. It's great. But then opposition comes. And that's really going to show what you believe about what God's called you to do is when opposition shows up. Because it's easy to talk a big talk and walk a big walk when no one's walking against you. And no one's talking against you. And this is what happens in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Then Samba, the Horonite, Tobia, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you were doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. And here's the reality. We're going to look at, through the story of Nehemiah, there's a couple of tactics opposition employs to attack us because it doesn't want us to step back into the promise of what God has for us. And the first thing you see from opposition is opposition wants to make you feel stupid. Right, like you make a decision, you resolve in your heart in a private moment. You say, I'm doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm choosing this, I'm not choosing that, I'm starting, I'm stopping, whatever it is. You choose something and then someone comes up beside you. Sometimes it's someone in your own mind talking to you and makes you want to feel stupid about that decision. And it makes you want to feel like that's the wrong thing. Oh, and now, now you, you, you're so foolish and that everyone's going to think you're dumb for that and you're going to be so embarrassed. And no matter what it is, and here's the reality. You think about it, These guys, they were living around Jerusalem. So they were benefiting from Israel's disobedience. Israel disobeys. They get taken out of the promised land. So these people get to move into the promised land. And they're enjoying the disobedience of Israel. And it's reality for us, the same thing is true. When we step out of the disobedience and try to step back into the promises of what God has for us, the people who've been benefiting from our disobedience are going to make some noise. They're going to start coming at us. They're going to start saying things. They're going to start doing things. Even you and yourself. This is for you. Maybe you're in a relationship where the person is getting the milk without buying the cow. Y'all know what I'm saying? Right? And you say, I'm going to shut the farm down because I believe that God says something about giving out milk. And then what happens? That person ridicules you. They mock you. They manipulate you. They try to get you to know. You're you're so outdated. No, it's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. And in your mind, in your heart, you know this is a big deal because I'm giving something of myself away every, every single time I do. So I need to be giving part of myself away to someone that is committed to me for life. And not just a private commitment, a public commitment before God. This is you and your spouse where you guys are overspending. You're spending money like you think you can print it yourself, right? And then one of you sooner or later says, you know what? We need to live on a budget. We actually need to go and take the money that we make, and that's actually a real number, and we actually need to spend less than that real number. So we have some more money left over. And your spouse is like, are you serious? Like, I really want to go. I'm so tired. And you're getting some opposition. This is the, your coworker, your classmate that you love gossiping with. You love talking about the boss. You love talking about the other teacher. You love talking about whoever it might be. And you say, you know what? I'm going to stop this because this is destructive. And they start chirping when you step back and say, I'm not going to do this anymore because I'm going to step out of disobedience into obedience and into promise. Those people are going to make some noise. So y'all need to be ready for that. The second thing opposition does is it has... It has a goal that makes you want to feel scared. If it can't make you feel stupid, it's going to try to make you feel scared. Check out this, this chapter 4. And you can read this story for yourself. It goes back and forth. There's a lot more going on. I'm pulling out some highlights for you. But this is chapter 4. It says, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Which means he's enraged. He's angry. He's really, really frustrated. 
And he ridicules the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. Don't miss that point. He had the army with him. It's like feeling cute today. Might take the army for a walk. (laughs) There's a reason why he has the army with him. And he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then Tobia joins in because opposition always rolls as a crew. Like one-on-one, that's a fair fight. You could probably hold off some opposition one-on-one, but they always come with people around them. Tobia, the Ammonite, said, "Who is?" he's right by his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. That means nothing to us, but that's like old school, ancient trash talk. And I don't know why, in my mind, Tobia is just like a good old South boy with a Southern accent picking on him, laughing funny. Probably doesn't have all his time. I'm just going to stop there because I'm going to offend some people. Uh, so th- but then this happens. Later, chapter 4, it says, And Sambalat, Tobia, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem, the wall, had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. As you get closer to stepping back into the promise and fulfilling the calling God has for you, people are going to get more intense in their opposition. And they all plotted together to come and fight again against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they went from insulting and mocking, trying to make you feel stupid, to now they're threatening and attacking. And some of you have been in situations like this. Some of you have been in situations where you try to step out of a disobedience thing and you try to step into the promise God has and someone around you begins beating their chest, begins giving you ultimatums, begins trying to manipulate you. And they're trying to scare you into staying where God never intended for you to be. And let me just say, if I try to scare my family into some kind of submission, that's not love and that's not submission, that's dysfunction. And I'll tell you this too, if you are here anybody, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're here in your situation where you are scared for your well-being and well-being of people around you, you tell us, I promise you we will take care of you. I promise you we will take care of you because that is what the church is supposed to do. You should not be scared. If you're stepping into the promises of God, we are here 100% behind you. No matter what it is, we will be there for you because you should not be scared when trying to seek God. And we can come together, and again, if people are offering ultimatums, they're just trying to manipulate you. And that's not love. And they're trying to get you to do something God never intended for you to do. And then if you read through Nehemiah, what happens is they send him this message like five times back and forth. They send him a message saying, hey, Nehemiah, you're building on the wall. We want to come. We want to just come meet with us because we need to talk about something. And then Nehemiah's like, no. And they do it again. Nehemiah's like, no. And and here's the deal. And, And you know this is true. If you've seen any movie ever. Like, if your enemy instantly becomes your friend, it's a trap, right? Like, the friend is a friend no matter what. The enemy generally is going to be an enemy. So they keep trying to get him and say, hey, Nehemiah, come down, come down. And Nehemiah's like, no. And then what happens, is this is the last tactic of opposition, is they begin, they begin to attack not just what he's doing, not trying to scare him, they actually begin to attack him. The last thing that opposition would try to do is opposition wants to make you feel selfish, but not because you are selfish. They're trying to call the things that you do selfish. You set up some healthy boundaries in your life, and now, okay, now you're too good for me. Now you don't got time for me anymore. Okay, I see how you are. No, I, can't, I just can't do that thing anymore. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. 
right? And people are challenging healthy boundaries and pushing back against them is generally because they're benefiting from you being unhealthy. And this is what happened where they bring up the selfish side. This is chapter six. So it goes back and forth several times. And then it says, the fifth time, this is the fifth time this message came, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true. Remember, remember Geshem? He was, he's this dude's homeboy. Of course he's going to confirm what he says. It's also convenient that there's an unsealed letter in the aide's hand. This happened to be open. It says, there's a, it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judea. Now this report, we'll get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Like opposition is going to begin questioning your motives and causing you to question your motives and make it all about you when you're saying this is not about me. Because look, even Nehemiah, he comes, he understands the king gave him authority to go and do this thing. He's carrying out the, the command of the king now, and it's not about him. He didn't set out to become the king. Even you look at Nehemiah, you read through the whole story. He, he becomes a ruler, but he's never king because that wasn't his calling. His calling was to re- rebuild the wall. And you've got to stay close to the calling God gave you, not the one God gave somebody else. Because that's where the power is. So they begin questioning his motives, they begin calling him things, they begin looking at him and trying to get people to see him differently, and they're fighting against these boundaries, and then Nehemiah basically has had enough. Because I'm done, we're not doing this, and we're going to look at Nehemiah's response to opposition because it needs to be our response to opposition. Again, opposition is real, but it doesn't have the real power. And this was Nehemiah's response. Actually, it's in the middle of this four or five time exchange where they're calling Nehemiah. He's telling them no. They're trying to get him. They're trying to tell him no. Like opposition is persistent about getting you to disobey, isn't it? Like some of you all know, you get those phone calls late at night. You try to silence it. You try to say no. It comes back again. The thoughts in your head, it comes again. It comes again. You're trying to get the thought outside of your head. It keeps coming back into your head. Opposition is persistent because if I can keep, keep you in disobedience, then I can benefit from that disobedience. And this is what Nehemiah said in chapter 6. Y'all with me still? Yeah. All right, let's go. It says, When Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it, even though I hadn't yet installed the gate, Sambalat and Geshem sent this message. This is the message they sent him five times. It says, Come and meet with us at, the, at Capirium in the Valley of Ono. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Like, if you were planning a trap for someone, is there any worse place than the Valley of Ono? <laughs> like, let's just be for real. Like, we can laugh about that a little bit, because, like, really? Of course it's a trap. I see that. Let's meet us here. So I sent this message back, and this is the powerful point. This is the point we got to rally around and look at them. He says, I sent messengers back with this. I am doing what kind of a work? Some more noise. What kind of a work? And I can't come down. What I have been called to is greater than what you're trying to call me away to. I cannot come down. Why should the work come to a standstill so I can come down to see you? This is where for for Nehemiah, he understood God had called him to something. He had a private calling that then public opposition tried to derail. And he knew 
That was not what God had for him. He knew coming down from the wall was not what God had for him. And what he did is, as he was building the wall, and you read through how he did it, they actually uh, edited and changed their plan several times, where eventually now they have their swords on their hip, they're building with one hand, they have their weapons in another hand, because the enemies are circling around. The opposition is so great. And they're saying, man, we need to continue this work. We need to not stop, because God has called us to something great. Here's the reality. If, if you are following Jesus, he's called you to something great. If you look through all through God's people, God is constantly calling people out of places where they shouldn't be into stepping into a calling that he's designed specifically for them. If you read through this passage, a beautiful passage, Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead because of the choices we made. We had no ability to become alive and to be with God. But God in his grace and his mercy reached down and gave us life through Jesus. And that is something we clap about every time because that is the power. And then it goes on to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. And some of you know this passage. It says, it's by grace that you're saved. It's a gift of God. You didn't earn it. And we love the gift. But we don't get to the next verse where it says, you are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. No matter what they say about you, no matter what you say about yourself, you are a masterpiece. And you were created to do good works. This is not just about you getting a gift and keeping the gift to yourself and saying, I got mine, and now hopefully all of you can figure it out. It's about us getting the gift and saying, God has given me this incredible gift. Now I get to go give it to people. I get to go around life finding the works he has called me to do because he's faithful. He's called me to be faithful in carrying out the mission. And you read through the story in Nehemiah, the thing that's, that's interesting to me is if you start way back at the beginning of chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about the ruin in the city. Side note, some of y'all hear about the ruin in the city, God's called you to fix it. Think about how many organizations we could shut down if the church just began to fix the problems of the city. Not in a social way, but in a loving way, where we go out, we feed the homeless. We take care of people. We take battered people in. We care for people with mental illness. We care for, like, imagine the work we could do, the work that you have been called to do, that we have been called to do. See, Nehemiah gets called to do this work, and then he gets the authority and the blessing of the king to go do the work. So the whole time this opposition is coming against him, in my mind, I'm thinking, he's thinking to himself, you guys are coming against me. You don't know who you're coming against because I got the authority and the blessing of the king. And you try to get me, I'm going to go call the king. He's going to come. Your little army is cute. His army is much greater and stronger. He's going to squash you. And in the same way, do not miss this. In the same way, haven't you been given the authority and the blessing and the calling of the king of kings? Like, haven't you been given something so much stronger and so much more beautiful that God has looked at you and decided to give you gifts to go and use and find good works to do? So in the midst of you questioning your calling, remember, I have the blessing, I have the authority. Because God's put this calling in my life. I'm going to step into the promise. 
I'm not going to let opposition keep me out from what God's called me to do because God has called me to a great work. I will not come down. I will not face my opposition. I don't even have time to go down and explain to them about the work I have to do because my work is so important. I just need to get to it and hustle and grind and serve and love and give because God has called me to something incredible. As you read through the New Testament, it's beautiful how it talks about how this idea of calling, this idea of of grace that you've been given this thing. And some of us, you hear calling, you think it's a big, massive thing, like there's gotta be a, a light that comes down and angels gotta be singing. No, it could honestly be a situation you're driving, you see something that makes you really frustrated and you say, it should not be like that. And God works in your heart and your life and says, you have to go fix that thing. I've given you my power, I've given you my authority, you have my blessing, you go and fix it. You're gonna find opposition, but don't let the opposition derail you. Because opposition generally is just the opportunity to get you in the right position. Even Nehemiah, he's going through this, this building of the wall and he, there's, he has some guys around him and then opposition comes and what does he do? He huddles up with some trusted people and says, we gotta figure out a plan to, to change what we're doing so we can continue the work. And then he keeps going and then more opposition comes. He brings these guys together again. He goes, hey, we got to figure out a plan so we can change a little bit so we can go out and do the work. And they continue doing that. And that's what we need to do. When you have a calling in your life, which each of us have a calling in our life, you have the blessing, the authority of God. When opposition comes, you need to surround yourself with some trusted people and say, this is what God's called me to do. And it's not working right now. And I need some strength. I need your strength. I need your wisdom to help me get through this. This is why we talk so much about community groups. And so we say, hey, go out today and sign up and give us your information so we can launch more groups because there are people sitting right here, right by you. You are some of these people. It doesn't matter what campus you're at. It doesn't matter where you're listening to this. God has a calling for your life. It's not that he might, he does. If he has called you, he has a calling for you. He has good works for you to do. Don't just receive the gift and keep it to yourself. Go and give it to people. But we question a lot and we, we have difficulties come. And this is even a thing you see in, in, in Romans where Paul is writing the letter to the Roman believers and trying to encourage them. And what he's telling them in chapter 8 is he actually begins with telling them that the troubles of this life are not even worth comparing to the future glory. Again, Paul is real about this. There are troubles. There are difficulties. But what he says is it's not even worth comparing. It's not that they're not real. They are very real. We got some friends right now. Oh, my goodness. We have a friend. She's a young mom. She's like my wife's age. Three young babies. One is like two months old. She just got diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. That is opposition. That is real. But that cancer does not have the final say over her life because the promise that God gave her is not just for today but for eternity. And I cannot imagine the hell that she will go through and her family. And some of you've walked through that. Some of you has been a diagnosis. Some of you has been a dysfunction. Some of you has been a divorce. It's been all different things. And you've walked through that and you feel like you do not have the strength to continue on. And what my hope is that you are here today is that the promise isn't just about today. Because opposition does affect today, but it will not affect eternity. And you can walk not in this half-hearted, like, smile and pretend kind of thing. You can walk through all sorts of pain and continue to remind yourself that even in the midst of the pain where it is unbearable, God's called me to a good work, and i got to stay faithful because he's so faithful. 
And Paul writes this, this comment about it's not even worth comparing. And then the end of the chapter, he finishes chapter 8 of Romans with these questions. Which I think are so beautiful for us. He asked questions, and I rephrased them a little bit, but he asked questions like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like you have the calling, the authority, the blessing of the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Great I Am, the beginning and the end, the powerful, most sustainer of everything in life. If he is with you, like what other power can be against you? Then he asks this question of, if he didn't spare Jesus to save us, why would he hold back now? Because in the middle of opposition, what happens is the opposition, the enemy whispers in your ear that God does not care for you and God is not with you. And here's the reality. We are in a broken world. That's why we have things like disease. That's why we have pain. That's why we have death is because of brokenness of humanity. So why are we surprised when opposition comes? We know it will be there, but we can hold on to the promise that he has given us everything I love this next question. Is who can bring any charge against God's people? See, God is not only the king who's called us to do work. He's also the judge who's declared us righteous. See, scripture teaches that when we step into the relationship with Jesus, we are covered by the umbrella of his work and his deeds and his blessings. And when God looks at us, he sees that there is nothing for us anymore. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment for us anymore because he judged us according to what Jesus did and not according to what we did. So if he doesn't condemn you, there's no one else in the courts that can condemn you. This is the last question is, like, who can condemn us? Like, who, who can bring anything against what God has said about you? So when opposition comes, it, it makes you feel stupid. When opposition comes, it makes you feel scared or it makes you feel like you're being selfish. You can hold on to the promises of God and the promise that there will be trouble. But take heart. Because the one that we follow has overcome the world. There is nothing this world can throw at you that Jesus has not overcome. We might not always understand it. We might hope it never happens or wish it would never happen to anybody else, but the reality is that God has overcome the world, and that gives us comfort because this world is broken. But we can look to the one that will restore all things in the end. And here's the reality. I know even talking about this, there are people in the room that you feel opposition against God. Or you feel God's opposition against you. And you know because of things you've done, things you've said, ways you've acted, desires that you've had, that, that God is against you. And you feel this shame. You feel this guilt. And you're like, man, if you knew my story, you wouldn't be talking to me about this free gift. You wouldn't be talking to me about grace. You'd be telling me that I need to fix things and straighten up. Can I tell you the truth? No one can fix things and straighten up. And you're not supposed to. See, the reality and the truth is that because of your decisions and your desires and the things that you've done, like God is against you. Scripture talks about how God opposes the proud. If you think you can measure up to God's goodness, God will actually be against you and will say, you can't have any part of me because I am perfect and God, like, God is perfect and he can't have imperfection with him. So if you're imperfect, you have to stay away and God will oppose you. But in the same Thing happens where you look at the whole promise. It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, gives unmerited favor, gives a gift to people who will say yes to him. See, we don't need more bad news. 
We all know the bad news. We need the good news. And the good news is that, that although while we were still dead in our trespasses, God made a way through Jesus. Scripture teaches that when we were still sinners, when we were still against God, God demonstrates his love in this. And this is an incredible expression of love. That while we were sinners, while we were doing the very things that caused God to be against us, Jesus died for us and created the only way for God to be for us. And he provided a way where there was no way. He provided freedom in life where there was only death and opposition. And scripture teaches that when you have faith that Jesus took your place, that the punishment you and I deserve, Jesus took that for us. We say, I have faith in that Jesus took my punishment and that's enough. I get free access to God. It says when you believe this, then you receive the life that God has for you. You receive also the calling and the authority and the blessing to go out and do the good works that God's called you to. But first and foremost, the biggest good thing that God has for you is himself. Where you get to step into a relationship with him and it's not because of anything you've done, it's everything that he's done. God made a way when there was no way. I believe there are people in here, it doesn't matter how long you've been in church, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You have lived your life in shame and guilt, feeling the oppression of God, feeling the opposition of a righteous God. And what I want to tell you is that opposition does not have to be there. Because of Jesus, it's not there. And when you believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for your sins, for your place, you can receive free access to God starting right now. I think there are people all over the place, North Campus, South Campus, there's people online podcasting. You are hearing this and you for the first time are saying, I want that freedom and I would love to celebrate with you. And I want to pray for you. So as we pray, would you all stand to your feet? North Campus, you can join us as well. Stand to your feet and out of respect for people around you, would you bow your heads? just out of respect for people around you, just to give them a moment. Because I believe there are people here, you have felt the weight of shame and guilt in your life, feeling that you will never measure up to God. If that's you and you say, I, I felt shame and guilt like I'd never measure up, you just raise your hand real quick. You can put it up and down. You felt the shame, you can put your hand up and down. I see you right there in the back in the front over here on the side. You can put your hand right up and down and say, I have felt shame and guilt Here's the reality again. God has promised us when we accept Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we can receive his life and access to God. And if you're here today, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been here, if you'd say, I would want to say yes to Jesus, I want to receive life that is found in God through Jesus, would you raise your hands right now all over the place? North Campus as well, you put your hands up all over the place. You say, yes, I want to receive. I see you in the back. I see you over here. I see you in the back over there. I see you over here in the back. Awesome. Church, would you all make some noise for people receiving the life of Jesus and giving themselves to him and saying yes and going from shame to being a child of God, going from guilt to grace. Man, God is doing something powerful in our house. Let's continue in prayer for these people, but also for all of us that we'd step into the calling of God over our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in your house. God, thank you for making a way when there was no way. God, thank you for giving us yourself and giving us not only a calling, God, but also authority 
and blessing and power to fulfill that. I pray that we would have your power against the opposition, God, that we would understand how good you are. God, for people in the room looking to you in a new way, God, understanding the opposition you have is gone through what you have done, God. I pray that they would, God, get connected to people, God. They would share this with someone, God. They would understand how powerful your love is. God, we would not look to shame or guilt, but we would look to your grace and your sacrifice as the demonstration of your love for us. God, I pray that we would understand, although opposition has power, God, it is not the real power, and you have overcome everything that we can encounter, and we want to praise you for that. We want to focus our eyes on you. God, thank you for your power and your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.